It's always a privilege to be with the Lord's people. And so Liz and I are happy to be with you all and looking forward to our time together in this meeting and in the, uh, the next meeting, uh, Family Bible Hour, I believe it's called, and then, uh, then off to camp. And we're excited it'll be our first year with this particular camp. Uh, I've been in camp work for about 40 years. Um, so I started when I was four. No. But I, what I really mean is that, uh, you know, we've, we've helped in camps and probably for about the last 35 years, we've gone around to the different ones in the area. And the nice thing is, is this is actually the closest camp to our house. You know, it's like two hours. Most camps are six, eight, you know, hours away and so on. But uh, I have been to this assembly before on Wednesday nights. My son and I uh, travel and sell signs, and so we'd come up to the area and and uh, we said, well, where's an assembly in the area for a Wednesday night because we're spending the night up here. So uh, it's been good to, to meet some of you in the past. Um, thought I would take a couple of minutes to tell you a little bit about uh, Liz and myself and uh, what the Lord's doing in our lives, and then we're going to look into a passage in Scripture in the book of Romans. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 6, we'll look at some things here and then in the will of the Lord in Romans chapter 8 at the uh, second meeting. I understand that you all have just finished a very extensive study in the book of Romans. And uh, like some assemblies, you know, those take several years to go through. Uh, and so you guys were probably in Romans chapter 6 maybe a year ago, I don't know, so it'll be a refresher, uh, so we'll trust the Lord for that. Now Liz and I uh, were, both were saved when we were teenagers, and uh, we met each other uh, at Bob Jones University. I did not attend there. I, was, I worked in printing and publishing, and, and we were moving our printing operation from Waynesboro, Georgia, up to... Greer, South Carolina, so I thought I'd drive on to this world-renowned campus, and they let me through. I'd go and, you know, just scout out the land a little bit, you know, and so I'm driving around on the campus, and I get lost, and I end up in the library parking lot, and who is there but a damsel in distress who locked her keys in her car, so I stopped and offered my expert services. And uh, so here we are 35 years later with nine children. So uh, that's a little bit about uh, how we met. And uh, my desire was to, to serve the Lord. I did some uh, training in Wichita, Kansas under Leonard Lindstead to learn how to do chalk art evangelism. And we were studying how to work with New Testament assemblies and things like that. And that's always been my desire is to uh, be involved in the Lord's work in some way, to serve him in that. And uh, so we've been doing that for many years. I remember we were traveling out to West Virginia. Some of you may know the, uh, uh, the Houstons out there at uh, Huntington Gospel Chapel, but we've been working with that little group out there. And so you know, it hit me that Liz and I had been doing this now since we, even before we were married, we'd get up early on a Sunday morning and drive from, where we were living, and whether it was uh, Georgia, or actually it was in the South Carolina area, we drove down to Georgia and met with this little meeting that's actually still going on now in Lizella, Georgia, and we preach the word and seek to encourage the Christians there and, and head back. And so the reason I'm telling you that is uh, 
in the last uh, year or two, the Lord has impressed upon me with the idea of strengthening the things that remain. You know, it it says in uh, Revelation chapter 3, to strengthen the things that remain. And so um, what my desire is and what I've been doing some of is working with some of the smaller assemblies to help them out, go maybe on a Friday or Saturday, spend some time in the community sharing the gospel and then preaching the word on Sunday to to be an encouragement for them. And uh, so I've, I've talked about this. I've spent some time with Mark Colchin out there in, at Greenwood Hills, and he uh, is the one with the Cornerstone magazine and so on. And, and I've been talking with some others about it through the years, Jabe Nicholson and so on, uh, about traveling and doing that. And so um, we've worked over several years with about four assemblies, our home commending assembly, which would be in St. Louis area, uh, and then we moved to Richmond, Kentucky about seven years ago with a business venture with my son, uh, and then we've been working there, and then, then there's uh, the Louisville Bible Chapel. Some of you know Annalene Benson and uh, Catherine Walrath married Luke Benson, and my son actually married their older daughter, um, which is Sarah, and they have the little granddaughter, Selah, who's very famous. But anyway, um, we've been working with that little gathering for about eight or nine years now. Every other month, we would show up there. And uh, I was going out to West Virginia Bible Conference um, two years ago, and we met the Christians there at the Huntington meeting. And um, there's about four or five families there in the Huntington meeting. And uh, the couple that are the pillars of the meeting uh, are ages 85 and 83, and in, in poor health. And uh, uh, Brother Houston, uh, Eddie Houston, said, yeah, Tim, he says, um, in the Lord's Supper, I call out the songs. I get up and share something about the Lord Jesus. And when it comes to breaking the bread, I pray. And then I wait for somebody else to pray in the other meeting, and, and I pray for the cup too. So just a little gathering, I just thought to myself, if anything happened to them, this whole gathering would just fall apart. And, and it's happening a lot with small gatherings. You know, there's a lot of uh, individuals there that are getting up in age. And, you know, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And they'd love to so much get out and share the gospel and share their lives and so on. And yet, you know, it's, it's difficult. And so, so Liz and I have been going out there probably for about seven months now. And we would go out on a Friday or Saturday, spend time visiting with some of the saints or uh, passing out literature in the community and inviting people down. I remember it was uh, wintertime and there was snow on the ground. And so the chapel was down the hill a little bit. and We were visiting up on top of the hill. And I just said, all you need to do is get on a sled and ride down and you could be right in the parking lot of the chapel. So we tried to, you know, work with some of the people that were right there and say, hey, we're just so encouraged. And an idea was that if we could get just one family that would come in, and a lot of these meetings have so many families that have so much to give, uh, so many older brothers and sisters who have lived life and, and just have so much counsel and wisdom. And there's young couples out there that are just, just dying for direction that just don't have anything. 
um, that would really encourage them in a spiritual way. And so it's kind of, that's been our burden is to be able to work in communities, look for the Lord to lead us to the, the um, Lydia's, right? And, and the Apostle Paul was there preaching in Philippi and the ladies were sitting by the river and Lydia attended unto his words. Or the Philippian jailer, that's a little harder of a contact, right? <laughs> Got to get thrown in jail for. But, but there are people out there that are seeking and that are wanting the things of the Lord and, and uh, wanting something deeper in their lives. Even if they're Christians going to some kind of a fellowship, and I believe we just have so much to give to them. And so, so we've been doing that. And so I, I thought to myself, well, we would do that up until the camp season. I'd have to travel for a while. And uh, we would just do an assessment. Well, how have things gone the last seven months? And we've been coming out. And we're just really wanting the Lord to lead in this, you know. And so uh, we were really encouraged. Um, the last time we were there, there were 25 people there. Um, another brother who had been a leader in the past started coming back more. And in the Lord's Supper, there were several who participated. And a young family was there with, with four or five children. I don't remember how many, but, but uh, that was just a, an encouragement for us. You know, that, and I, it was interesting, and the thought came to me is that because Liz and I took an interest in the gathering, they took more of an interest in it again, you know, Perhaps in the past they weren't, but they're thinking, well, maybe the Lord is going to use this little group and so on. Uh, but just that's a little bit about us. Um, I could go into all kinds of things. And we, we have the nine children. We just have uh, two at home now. Uh, my youngest is 17, and his name is TJ. And uh, he's, it's Timothy Joseph. So you can imagine being the youngest of nine children, five girls, four boys. So, you know, he's just... He's a little warrior. Thank the Lord for him. He, um, uh, he's really helped us with camp work, and he loves the Lord. And if he were here, he probably would either pray or call out a song in the Lord's Supper and all that. So just really encouraged about his desire to serve the Lord. Um, and so, but anyway, he stayed in St. Louis because he knew we were going to be gone for a month. So he said, I'll go to St. Louis and hang out. We got, I have two of my daughters that are there. Uh, and he just he helps with them and the grandchildren. We have six granddaughters, ages five and under, from three couples. Uh, and so I don't know what it is about all these girls, but the Lord has a reason for them. Some some people say girls are harder to raise; others say boys are. For us, it was the girls. You see, the girls they they wanted to please mom and dad. The boys were like, we don't care about pleasing our parents. We're gonna... So they got to find out about life the hard way, you know. And uh, so they were just a little more difficult uh, to raise. Uh, but we, we thank the Lord for our family. And uh, that's a little bit about us. I've been doing camp work, oh, I, I don't know, just I, about 35 years with teaching and preaching. But we've been involved with camp since I was saved uh, at 16 years old, I went to Turkey Hill, and there's a man there named Leonard Linstead that did chalk art. And I saw this group of children, 100 kids, who sat just with rapt attention the whole meeting as he would be up there and, 
you know, he'd be telling a story, and I realize there's a lot more to it than what it looked like back then. But he would be teaching the word and telling stories and drawing, and the drawing would develop as he was talking. And so he kept all their attention, and at the end he would give the picture away to the quiet seat. And I had a desire to, to serve the Lord. I had a desire to, to reach young people at that time, and so I bugged him about learning how to do it. And so I actually went to Wichita and studied under him for about two years. Uh, him and Rob Linstead, some of you probably know of those guys. But uh, that was kind of my introduction to that. And then I started doing the Chalk Talks, and um, I've developed uh, many of them through the years. And so we're just thankful for being able to serve the Lord with camp work. And uh, we know that many of you will be praying. And uh, in spite of all these years of experience, we know that we're in desperate need of the Lord to move uh, it, it, salvation is of the Lord, isn't it? And uh, if it's so humbling because when you ask questions and these kids haven't learned anything all week, but, you know, but, but yet on the other hand, you know, the Spirit of God opens a heart and mind to understand what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them. I'll tell you one quick story, and I just uh, have really appreciated this this year. We were, at the beginning of June, we were down at a camp called Marshview Bible Camp, <laughs> Uh, south of Savannah. And uh, this boy comes in, his name is Rory, R-O-R-Y. Nine years old, never opened a Bible, had no idea about it. And he heard for the first time John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He had never, ever heard anything like that in his life. Well, uh, really sharp little boy, and he had his counselor, and the counselor helped him to memorize John 3.16. And um, so, you know, I was up there preaching the word every day, and, and uh, Rory started staying behind and lingering because he, you know, you know the Lord was speaking to him. He had some questions. And so he said, so Mr. Tim... Um, I've been giving my parents some trouble lately. So they, they sent me to church and got me baptized. But I don't think it did any good. <laughs> he says, what do you think? <laughs> I said, Rory, getting baptized is something that a person does once they become a Christian to identify with the Lord Jesus. It's a very, very good thing to do, but it doesn't save you. You can't get saved by getting baptized. And I, I, so I said to him, now, if you were, and this is after hearing John 3.16 and being with his counselor and then hearing the gospel from us for several days, I said to him, so if you were standing before the gates of heaven and the Lord said, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? And so he says, well, I'd say I believe in God and um, Jesus, that, that Jesus came and died on the cross for my sin. I'm like, the Spirit of God opened his heart and mind and showed him that, right? There are engineers, you know, great minds that don't even get and understand that. But hear this boy. And so I said to him, uh, well, do you want to pray? And we were in the back lobby, you know, and we were talking as we were going out. He said, yeah. So he came up and got, he got on his knees. I got on my knees right there at the front of the chapel. And I said, 
do you want me to pray? He goes, no, I will. <laughs> and so it was a beautiful prayer. It was like he was like a fourth-year theological student. It was amazing. He started asking God. He thanked God for the, the camp and all the kids who are coming, and may they all go to heaven. And then he says, God, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that beautiful? A nine-year-old boy who knew nothing, he understood that the Lord Jesus Christ died for him and he had the forgiveness of sins. And he thanked God for sending the Lord Jesus to die for him. And then he closed the prayer with this. I'll never forget it the rest of my life, these five words. And you are my king. Isn't that beautiful? Just that he just realized that the Lord is the king and he says, and you are my king. I just thought that was so precious. And it's just so exciting to be involved and to see God work and open hearts and minds. And and we really do appreciate all your prayers for this week. For those of you that can come, that's wonderful. It's gonna be exciting. But for those of you that aren't gonna be there, you know, we'll have two sessions and these children will be under the, ministry and in devotions and opening their Bibles themselves and they'll be inundated with the gospel for the whole week. So that's going to be an exciting time. So I have, um, I understand I'm supposed to stop at about 10 till, is that right? Okay, good. Just to keep that straight. So let's look in the Bible here at Romans chapter 6. I was asked to uh, work with a young man on, in the Louisville Assembly, and um, there's several Indian families there. And one of the things I found out about the Indian cultures is that they will not baptize someone who gets saved unless they really understand baptism. And I appreciate that. So I had several sessions with this young man. He was a teenager. Uh, and so we talked about really what baptism is about. First of all, it has nothing to do with getting saved. When a person is baptized, that's your testimony that you were saved. And so we talked a lot about all these different things. And then um, just was led in various ways to do some studying in Romans 6, 7, and 8, having to do with the Christian life, to encourage if there's something that we need to know and understand in living for the Lord. These are amazing passages. And so... In the meeting, and the Lord willing here, we're going to talk a little bit about about these passages and about what it's talking about. And uh, just to encourage you by way of remembrance and to uh, encourage all of us in these things. So Romans chapter 5 is the great doctrine of justification. The Apostle Paul comes up to chapter 5 and he says, you have been justified by faith. Justification is that God has declared us to have all the righteousness of his son upon ourselves forever by putting faith in the blood of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing, a wonderful doctrine, isn't it? Justification. I've been declared righteous by the judge of all the earth that now I can be uh, in his presence and fit for heaven forever because of that one act of mine of calling upon the Lord or or that I would place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and therefore I am justified. And so we have that in in Romans chapter 5. But then Romans chapter 6 goes into the subject of sanctification. So justification is no, the subject is no longer dealt with uh, through the rest of the book of Romans. It's now on living your life as a Christian. He doesn't confuse the two ideas of justification, which is how a person is saved by the Lord declaring us righteous, to sanctification, which has to do with a state and a standing and where the Christian is. He is sanctified now. And we use the word sanctified, and uh, it means holy, right? We think of the word sanctified. It's holy, But the word holy means a couple of different things. Like God is absolutely holy. It means there's none like him. He's set apart from all others, right? So he is holy. But he also is pure in every way as well. He's righteous. And we use the word holy in the idea of being absolutely cleansed or purified. And so what God is doing with us from the time that we're saved to the time that either we, we pass on to be with him or the Lord were to come, is he is in the process of sanctifying us. And it's a three-part thing, right? We have a past, a present, and a future with sanctification. The past was when I got saved, when I believed on the Lord that he sanctified me once for all, through the blood of Christ, through that offering, the book of Hebrews teaches us that we are made holy in his sight. But you see, there's also the process. I use with the children, I say, now let's say I gave you a great big lollipop. Mickey would love this because he's a candy guy, right? I give a great big lollipop that's all colorful and everything, and you would receive that. That would be step number one. And then step number two is you would be working on it, and you'd be go, you know, just enjoying that lollipop. Your dentist is loving you, eating it, you know. And so you're taking in this lollipop, all this great sugar. So anyway, uh, and then there's a third part of this is that it would be when it's all finished. So you received it. Then there was a process where you ate of it, and now it's all finished. Well, that's what sanctification is. We receive it. We are, and the word I use, it's sort of, um, it's, this is not real English, But it's a verb that God is causing us to be made holy. So I use the word holyized. So he is in the process of holyizing us, okay? And so that's kind of what we're talking about here in Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8. If the Christian can really grasp these chapters and understand the principles in them, it just causes us to be light years ahead of the herd in really walking with the Lord in victory. So many Christians never come to a point to really understand the work of sanctification in the believer. And here in uh, this chapter, um, let's see my time here. I'm going to just go over probably four simple points. The first one is a principle to understand. There's a principle to understand. The word is knowing this, knowing this, knowing this, right? There's something we need to know, a principle we need to understand, and that will be the first few verses. Then we get down to uh, verse 11, and there's a promise to receive, 
a promise to receive. And that's where it says, reckon yourselves. Something we've got to do, right? The first part is something we've got to know. The second is that we need to reckon ourselves. Some translations say consider. But the whole idea is it is a promise that we must receive. And then my third point is a, pre- um, a presentation to continue. Try to have three Ps, right? And then uh, the last point has to do with uh, uh, a, a new life. The Apostle Paul says, now I'm going to make this really super simple. I'm going to talk to you like your children. Uh, because of the infirmity of your flesh, let me make an illustration here. And we'll close with that. So anyway, uh, the first part here, a principle to understand. Now, the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were under a tyrant. They were slaves to Pharaoh who hated them in every way, right? And they were under hard bondage, building the treasure cities of Pharaoh. And there they were uh, just crying out to God. Is there some way to be delivered from this horrible, horrible position I'm in? And what happens? The Lord answers, brings Moses, and leads them out in a mighty arm, right? And he takes them to the Red Sea, and then through the Red Sea, and then out into the wilderness for a feast unto him. So they were, God was calling them out, took them through death as it were, and now they're out in the wilderness and they're there to have a feast unto the Lord. They were called to worship God as a people. See, they were set apart. They were made holy, right? And so, and it was done through the blood of the land. There's all kinds of things here, but I want to point out four particular movements there that took place. Number one, they were under terrible bondage and slavery, which is Romans 6, the beginning, that were slaves to sin, right? And number two, they went down into death and came back up through the Red Sea. And that's a picture they were baptized unto Moses. And the idea in Romans chapter 6 is that we were baptized into Christ. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross... We were in him. Our old nature was taken and judged there and put to death and put under the waters, as it were. And so that's what this passage is about. Baptism is a symbol of this event where God, some way, in a mysterious way, that I was in Christ and he took my old nature 2,000 years ago when the Lord died and he caused him to Die, cause me to die with him and rise again. And that's the principle the Apostle Paul is wanting them to know. A principle to know is that we died with Christ and our old nature has been judged. See, God doesn't do anything with the old nature. It can't please him in any way. It's good for one thing, execution. And that's what took place at Calvary. So we're now freed from sin, Right? We don't have to obey. We're not under the dominion of sin because that old nature died with Christ. So let's look at this. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
Or do you not know that as many of you that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so here we have the Lord Jesus who died and he rose again to the glory of the Father. And he says, that's our example. That's our testimony. We died in him. We rose with him. And now we can walk in newness of life. And so then it goes on. It says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, knowing, knowing, found in verse 3, found in verse 6, and so on. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin, that's our old sin nature, it's called the body of sin, uh, because the, the physical body is the bridge that we use to sin. And so the body of sin may be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. He who has died has been freed from sin, right? Now, let's say I was a severe alcoholic and I died. And my casket was up here in the front, you know, and everybody would come and walk through and the preacher would probably be lying about the fact I was a good man and everything, right? And so one of my partying buddy comes walking in and he's got some Kentucky bourbon in his hand, right? And he's walking up and he's had a few drinks and he comes up and he looks at me. He says, we're going to party tonight again. Now, now, is my temptation, the fact that I was a severe alcohol going to affect me at that point? I'm dead. So all of these addictions, all these things, all these sins that ruled my life, I'm now dead. It's not going to matter. No matter, I mean, this guy could be my very best friend and he led me astray so many times and said, just one little drink, Tim, I know you're trying to quit. But I would not respond whatsoever. I'd have total victory over that temptation because I'm dead. And this would be an interesting funeral because the next time a detective would come walking in and he would say, you know what? We have full evidence that Tim McNeil committed murder. And the police would come in and everybody would come and they'd say, he's a murderer. He's a murderer. He needs to go to jail. Well, that doesn't make sense either, right? See, I'm dead to the law as well. And as Christians, we're dead to sin. We're dead to the law. We're dead to the flesh. And even, you know, a beautiful rose, somebody could come up and say, oh, oh, this smells so good. Here, Tim, smell this. I, I, I can't smell that, right? We're dead to the things of the world because the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again and we have power to walk in newness of life and not allow sin to have dominion over us. In fact, when we sin, it's because we want to as Christians. In India, a lot of times there's different boys that would carry these big pythons around, you know, and this one boy had this one, and they would do this little thing 
uh, and, and act out, and all the people would gather around, and they would throw coins in and so on. And this python, this uh, snake, would wrap around his body, and he would play. It would, they would act as if he killed him, and then the python would let go, and the boy would get up, and everybody would clap, and it was just like a magic trick, right? Until one day, the python decided that it's not going to be a game anymore. And you see, we're kind of like that with sin in our lives, aren't we? That where it's like we play with it a little bit. We try to keep it at arm's length, but sometimes we let it get too close in our lives. And we don't have to, is the point of Romans 6. We do not have to allow sin to rule and reign in our bodies. But what we need to do is, as we go on in this passage, boy, I see my time goes... I, you know, I get talking about these things and time, somebody changes the clock when I look away or something. But the second thing here, we're going to look at verse, um, let's look at verse 10. For, he, for the death that he died, he died once to sin and the life he now lives, he lives to God. Okay, so we see Jesus died and now he lives. And then the next word is, likewise, you also. Okay, so here again, we have that idea that Jesus did something as an example and we need to see it. But then the next word says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The word reckon here, the idea is that we consider it as a fact. So we know the principle, but we need to consider it as a fact. And what I have it as a promise to receive. And what I mean by that is we need to, by faith, claim that we do not have sin as a power over us because the Lord Jesus died and we died in him. This is all through the New Testament, isn't it? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And, and you have it in um, you being dead in trespasses and sin in Ephesians. You have the Apostle Paul uses this principle. You know, the verse we always quote, it says, He, um, let, let's see, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. We love that verse, right? First Peter 2.24. What's the rest of us? The rest of the verse. That... I'd have to quote the verse again, but that we being dead to sin should no longer live in it, right? Should live unto righteousness. So the whole principle there of Christ dying is that we now are dead to sin. Peter takes it up. Paul talks about it all through the scriptures. And so here we need to reckon it so. I always say that the uh, hardest part of the Christian life as I've walked with the Lord and seek to serve him and want to do what's right, the hardest part is faith. Is that I would every day walk by faith. And I would claim it. It says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And so I received him by faith. And now my day-by-day walk is I'm just claiming the promises of God. And I'm walking in the power of those promises. It's not something that I stir up of my own flesh. It's not something I force. But I trust God. And that's walking by faith. So it's a promise to consider. Uh, I have the last point here. 
Um, well, no, two more things real quick, but I'll go through them quickly, I'll, I promise. It says in verse 12, therefore, therefore, because of the uh, principle to understand, the promise to keep, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you shall obey its lust and do not present yourself as m- members of unrighteousness uh, our instruments as uh, unrighteousness unto sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The word, that our instruments, our body, our limbs, it's translated weapons sometimes, our weapons of righteousness, right? Now that we're saved. And so we're to present them to God. The third point I have is presenting, continually presenting ourselves to God. The principle that we yield to God day by day, moment by moment, that he would work through us. We would have our sins confessed and we would seek that God would use our lives. He would work through us. We receive power and are able to do that as we, instead of yielding ourselves as instruments of righteousness unto sin, we yield ourselves to God. One more minute. I promise I'll get through this here. But... um, I had mentioned to you the Apostle Paul used an illustration just to make this really, really simple, this whole principle that he's using. And if you look with me down um, oh, verse 15, uh, 18, verse 18, chapter 6, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. And so he's trying to summarize. He's making all these points about this uh, idea that we now have power and dominion over sin. And then in verse 19, it says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So he decides, I'm going to give you a really simple way to understand this particular principle. He says, for just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. He's talking about when you were unsaved, You made all these plans to go sin. You dressed up, you know, the women would put their makeup on to go out to party and they'd have all these plans and they'd come up with all these things. And, you know, some of these small towns, it's not so much here, but my wife is from a small town called Anita, Iowa. They always come up with a reason to go party and to get drunk and to just live that kind of life. But so that's, that's what this is talking about. Remember what it was like when all you do was plan to go out and gratify yourself? Instead of doing that, plan to go out and use yourself for God. And that's what he says in the next part here. He says, um, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification or holiness. Just as you used to live for the world and use your body for the world, now yield to God and he'll give you power and use your body Uh, for holy things and to please God. My time is gone. Thank you so much. You're a wonderful audience. (laughs) Let's pray and we'll have our next time coming up. A loving Father, we thank you that you have conquered sin through your son, the Lord Jesus, that we can be those who now, who are slaves to sin, who are under the hard bondage of sin, have now been let out uh, through death to be able to serve the living God. And Father, we thank you for the manna from heaven, the Lord Jesus himself, that we can feast on and think about and that he is truly our strength and power. And we pray as we would meet uh, together around him in our next meeting, we would ask for uh, him to be honored and glorified in us and uh, among us in a special way today. We pray in his most worthy name. Amen.